0: I'm on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore and I.
1: From Salt Lake City, Utah, welcome to this special two-hour edition of Heart of the Matter. My name is Mark Pizzano, I'll be your host and moderator for this evening. Tonight we have a special guest with us, Pastor Jason Wallace. He is from the Magna Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He's also the host of uh, the show Ancient Paths. He's going to be challenging our own pastor, Sean McCraney, host of of Heart of the Matter, obviously, and uh, pastor teacher of campus located here in Salt Lake City. For those of you that watch Heart of the Matter or Ancient Paths, you know these two pastors have different teaching styles and different beliefs, and tonight, they are going to have the opportunity to clear the air, so to speak, and hopefully find some common ground uh, in Jesus Christ. Before we get going here, we're going to take a moment in prayer. Uh, Mr. Brother, Brother Walquest, could you come up and help us?
2: Our Father in heaven, we uh, come before you this evening as a body of uh, believers, those who uh, seek you, Lord, in, in spirit and in truth. And, Lord, we pray that this would be true this evening. Lord, we're grateful for the opportunity that we have tonight uh, to hear from uh, Pastor Wallace as well as uh, Pastor McCraney and pray that uh, those things that you would want us to learn and to know Uh, would come to fruition, that our hearts and minds would be open, that that we would uh, learn only truths, Lord, and that we would have your help to discern those truths through thy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we love you and are grateful uh, for you, for our Son and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and pray that uh, his ends would uh, be fulfilled here this night. And uh, these uh, favors we ask, and uh, for your Spirit to be upon us and with us, and do so in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So we'll be, uh, we'll be starting tonight by having uh, our guest, Pastor Jason Wallace, present his opening statement. He'll have 20 minutes to do so. Following that, uh, Pastor Sean uh, McCraney will have 20 minutes for his opening statement. Uh, before we get going, I would just like to share a verse from uh, a great teaching I had over the weekend. I think this applies to all. Uh, I think it's very useful, and uh, I think if we, uh, if we put these principles uh, in action, I think uh, it'll be great for all of us. Uh, It comes from James, James 1.19. It says, know this, my beloved brother, let every person be quick to hear, but slow to listen and slow to anger. Amen? Amen. Pastor Jason?
3: Well, I want to thank Sean for the opportunity to address these things in the open air and in the light of God's Word. And... My plea to each of you is to be good Bereans, to search these things out in God's word for yourselves. There's a passage of scripture that has guided my ministry to a great extent. It's book of Acts chapter 20. The apostle Paul is at the end of his third missionary journey and he's on his way back to Jerusalem. And he stops in Miletus and sends for the Ephesian elders there. It says in verse 18, And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind, and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesses in every city saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. These elders of the church there in Ephesus were specifically commanded not to lord themselves over their brothers. They were to be servants of all, and yet they were to shepherd the flock. They were to feed them, because this is the church that God had purchased with His own blood. And they were also to stand for the truth, because there were going to be challenges both from without and from within. There were going to be challenges from those who were not brothers. There were also going to be challenges from those who were believers but deceived. These things matter. The Apostle Paul is able to say that he is free from the blood of all men for he has not shunned to declare the whole counsel of God. The implication was that if he had held back, he would have been guilty. He would have been an unfaithful watchman. I'm not here tonight to question Sean McCraney's heart. Only God can do that. I'm not here to question his sincerity. I take him at his word that Everything he has done has been out of a love for Jesus, a love for people, and a love for what he understands to be the truth. But I also love the truth, and I understand that truth very differently. And so I believe that it is important to testify to that truth when it is challenged. And I've done so, and I welcome the opportunity to do it face to face. My prayer is that by God's grace, I will speak that truth in love. Over the past two years, Sean has mocked the doctrine of the Trinity using terms like garbage, saying that it was rooted in polytheistic paganism. He says that hell is, no, is not eternal. The second coming was 70 AD. He has denounced the visible church as made up of small-minded men bent on control who are trying to insert themselves between you and a personal relationship with God. He says that this side of the second coming, the church has no physical reality. Christianity has no physical reality today. There's a host of issues that we couldn't begin to touch in two hours. But there are three major things I want to focus on this evening in terms of this understanding of a spiritual interpretation of Scripture, a totally spiritual understanding of the church. I believe that first, Sean is not declaring Jesus in all his glory, that the Jesus that he presents with these doctrines is is not the Jesus who is presented in God's Word, in all that he is presented to be. Second, he is giving a false hope to those whom Jesus and the apostles say that they should be warned of judgment and hell. And third, he is arguing that Christians should not turn to the means that God has appointed to help sustain them in a fallen world. Sean says that he doesn't know whether Jesus is coming back a third time or not, but he is certain that he came, the second coming was 70 A.D. and he is as sure of that second coming being then as he is anything in the Bible. It used to be that Sean thought everything was future. In fact, when he was at Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, I was teaching the importance of 70 A.D. But now he has gone from everything being future to everything being past in terms of the prophecies of God. I don't think he fully understands. Maybe he does. But I don't know that you fully understand the implications if Jesus came back in 70 AD and that's all there is. It boils down to the simple fact that Jesus fails to do what he promised to do. The seed of the woman may never really finish crushing the head of the serpent. The curse may never be removed from this world because in full preterism, as I'm not trying to hang a label on it, let me back up. The idea that Jesus died, excuse me, that Jesus came in the second coming in 70 AD, If that is everything, then this world may go on forever. And Sean has admitted he doesn't know whether he's going to come a third time or not. This is the promised new earth of Revelation 21. There's a whole host of things that go out the window with this idea. The physical resurrection, the millennium, a whole host of things. And what Jesus seems to clearly promise gets spiritualized away. Now, the futurism that he used to hold to is wrong. And yes, there's all kinds of craziness associated with it. And I share his frustration with the Left Behind uh, movies and all the other things that go with that. But this isn't the answer. There are implications to this doctrine. And it has real life impact on people's lives. Sean also stresses a personal relationship with Jesus. But once again, it's not the full picture of Jesus in the Bible. Jesus of the Bible indwells us. And he sanctifies us. The promise is... That, he, that Jesus made to the Samaritan woman was living waters that would be bubbling up within us. The Holy Spirit indwelling us, sanctifying us. That whereas we were slaves to sin, now we're going to be slaves to righteousness. And yet as we'll see, he presents Jesus as not necessarily bringing about these radical changes. That leads to the second issue Sean says that it is wrong to say that people who claim a personal relationship with Jesus are not Christians just because they're living in sin. No one other than God can judge hearts. But God himself says that there is a fundamental difference between someone who has truly been born again and someone who has not. And there are warnings all through scripture of presumption of people thinking that they are right with God either through religion or experience or emotion or whatever. There's all different forms of religion that people substitute for a real relationship with Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Apostle John says in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. And if the apostles, Paul and John, are not sufficient, Jesus himself warns in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It is, a, it is a scary thing to speak peace to someone whom Jesus and the apostles warn not to presume. A couple of weeks ago, Sean was dealing with a lady whose daughter had, according to her mother, abandoned Christ and was living as a lesbian. He said it was wrong to say that she had abandoned Christ. But what does Jesus say? Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Yes, we all sin, but there is, a, there is a fundamental qualitative difference between those who have been born again and those who haven't. Walking an aisle, praying a prayer, signing a card, or whatever other things that you may go through, if your heart is not changed, then you're not a Christian. Jesus presents a gospel that changes us, a Jesus who indwells us and makes us new creatures. Finally, Sean thinks he is freeing the church of the, excuse me, Christians of the institutional church and a physical understanding of the Bible. In their place, he is offering something totally spiritual. The reality is that he is taking away what Jesus appointed for good as the means for ministering to his people. I understand that Sean and many of you have been burned by the Mormon church and I have heard more times than I can count people saying they can never trust men again. But abusive husbands don't invalidate marriage. You don't get to redefine marriage from what God has defined it to be. Counterfeit elders don't invalidate a true church. God has called us into community with real people, and he has called us to submit to to real, true elders who tremble at God's word. One of Sean's big issues with the visible church is discipline. Two weeks ago in talking about John DeLynn, he said, I think anyone actually who's excommunicated from any religious organization for reasons other than them uh, being, you know, threatening people physically and emotionally and being a danger, I think it's a cause to celebrate, not to mourn, that they get kicked out of the institution that won't have them. I mean, why? Who in their right mind wants to belong to a church which ought to be a hospital for the sick that kicks the patients out when they need the church the most? Now, he, knows, he, he says he knows what Paul says about such things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, I wrote to you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do uh, to judge them which are without? Do not ye judge them they're within. And he goes on to say, cast the evildoer out from among you. Sean says that we're on the other side of the second coming and everything now is spiritual. And we, we are in error when we try to apply the Bible uh, to our own day. But what, what do we have in its place? How do we deal with these things? We know from 2 Corinthians, this is the means that God used to bring this man to repentance and restoration. Paul didn't invent church discipline as something uh, just for that day. Jesus said uh, in Matthew 18, he says, "Uh, "'If thy brother shall trespass against thee, "'go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone.'" If he will hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and a publican. It doesn't mean that you hate them. It doesn't mean you burn them at the stake. It means that you call them to repentance and you pray for them. But you don't encourage them as brothers when they will not hear the church. What church do you have to hear? In the first century, it was very obvious. There was a physical church. Two weeks ago, Sean says, who do, you, who do I think that I am that I could actually spit in the wind of 1,800 years plus of religious tradition and biblical scholars and learned men and women and suggest that they have been misled in the way they have applied the Bible to doing Christian life? I don't know who I am when it comes to this. I might be crazy, I might be a fool, I might be inspired, I'm not sure. But I can say, this is how it comes together for me. This is how, when I sit down and read it, this is what speaks to me. And I'm going to be true to that. If I'm crazy, discover that and don't listen to me. If I'm wrong in spots, you can call me out on it and go on and love me or or you can choose to fight it. But just understand, I pray to God that it's from him and not Satan who gives me these perspectives and sometimes I don't know. Implicit in what Sean is saying is that for 1800 years the church has not had the Holy Spirit to lead them into truth. But now the Spirit is leading to truth. There must have been a great apostasy or something. Uh, That sounds way too familiar. The idea that all the churches are wrong. The idea that all our creeds are heinous. The idea that Pastors are to be portrayed as greedy and their scholarship somehow a barrier to the spirit. That's all too familiar here in Utah. These, these things lead to, to bad conclusions. In the first century, it was very clear. The one who would not hear the church was a rebel and potentially a false brother but now it's being portrayed as if it's a badge of honor and love for Christ. I've been accused of attacking Sean. He said at the Inquisition that we would kill him if we could and that we'd burn him at the stake. All I had said was that he was teaching grave error. There's a double standard here. Sean has said many things about the Mormon church and about evangelical churches. And it is understood to be out of a love for Jesus, a love for truth, and a love for people. He can mock all of them in the strongest terms, but if I say that he's teaching grave error, somehow I'm attacking him unfairly. Truth matters. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about his church for which he died. We're talking about people's souls. We're talking about heaven and hell. Apparently, he is not attacking a brother when he addresses all pastors without naming names, but somehow I'm attacking him personally and fairly if I mention him by name. Um, He's not attacking the body if he denounces all churches, but I'm tearing apart the body if I say that what he is saying is wrong. All I have attempted is to speak the truth in love, and these truths matter. The Jesus who came is far more glorious. He does all he promised. He saves to the uttermost all who come to him in faith. And my hope is that you will see that for yourselves.
1: We'd like to thank Pastor Wallace. Uh, Pastor McCraney, 30 minutes. 30? 20. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I'll slip you an extra ten.
4: Uh, I'm really tempted to try and take uh, what Jason said here one by one. I teach the Bible uh, every Sunday two times, and we do heart of the matter. Uh, I think you can see that uh, much of what Jason has said in context there is not really correct. I believe Jesus is everything. I believe he fulfills everything. I think that he is uh, the author and finisher of faith. I do not believe he has failed in the least. I agree uh, that truth matters uh, more than you might believe. Uh, I admit to heaven, I admit to hell, I admit to a lake of fire. I believe all of those uh, tenets. So uh, the soundbite tough is tough. I wanna thank Jason for his willingness to confront me face to face. My respect for him as a man uh, far exceeds uh, uh, those who hide behind technology. And puppeteer matters from behind the scenes. Uh, right off the bat, I have to admit that the trouble with this approach is that it's kind of a soundbite approach. Uh, Jason just laid out a bunch of things. Many of them uh, were true. I mean, in, in terms of all the accusations about what I've said, the quotes, I agree with them. I, I, I disagree with them. Uh, I don't believe Mormonism has influenced my uh, assessment of those things. I embraced those the the other way fully when I was a Christian, um, an evangelical Christian trained by Calvary Chapel. I had no problem with eternal punishment. I had no problem with Jesus coming back in the future and waiting on him, rapture. I had no problem with the Trinity. I embraced all of it. I took it to my heart. I followed it with everything I had. But like Jason, I read the Bible and I study the Bible too. And so these soundbite things, they're difficult because I don't think we accomplish very much. Uh, For example, when we talk about Jesus' second coming, we spent uh, 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 three and a half months of shows talking about that and proving from the Bible what it says in context. Jason's talked on it for three minutes, and it seems like I'm really out of my mind. I mean, I've never said I'm right on everything, I say challenge the things I said, Jason mentioned that. So do, challenge them, test them. But because I mentioned them and because I say this is what I believe, am I so wrong? In the nine years I've been here in Utah in ministry, I've never been uh, in a debate because I don't think they do anything. The closest we came to was the Inquisition. And I don't think it really accomplishes much. So why are we doing all this? Jason has taken video sound bites of our program uh, many of them revealing the most idiotic things that I say, and there's a lot of those, and they has chained them together without our permission on the airwaves here in Utah. Now the, what that is is an attempt to assassinate my character, my Christianity, and the things that i I, I think I see and support by the Bible that's all it is, and so I have been told over the years that he's been doing this I've never responded but I start it started to bug me and when it started to bug me and I heard enough of it I gave Jason a call like the Bible tells us to directly Jason never called me and said hey I'm gonna go after you on the show I called him I said Jason how about we do this in person and we can do it where I can at least respond to some of the stuff instead of you just doing it one-sided and having someone put clips together of, of stuff I say that is not in context. It's like pulling passages of the Bible out and using them as your justification for an entire uh, uh, theology. So Jason agreed. He also agreed to air this unedited, I'm keeping him to his word by saying this, on his program on TV20, if Mark would, uh would moderate, and so I'm grateful for Mark. It's my hope that by and through our talk, I can walk away as a better friend of Jason's. And it is my hope that Jason, after talk, will see me as a brother in Christ. He will see me as a Christian, in spite of all the things he doesn't agree with. I accept this about Jason now. I hope he will too, by the end of our discussion. I wanna point out that Jason and I are very, very different men, in fact, you would be hard-pressed to find two more polarized individuals in the body. Jason is formally educated. His education, I'm, uh, by looking at, from what I could tell, is extremely traditional. He's very conservative. I admittedly am pretty much been self-taught, except I was LDS for 40 years. That didn't do much for me. And then I went to Calvary Chapel School of Ministry, and that's not really a—I a, a, mean, it's a two-year program full-time, but learned by Chuck Smith— Jason's extremely orthodox in his belief and his approach to faith. He's a pastor of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, OPC for short. For those of you who don't know what that means, it means Jason promotes Calvinism, five-point, hardcore Calvinism. Is that not true? You can say it, sir. Yes or no?
3: Sean, you, you hang labels on people. What does it mean? Uh, they, do you, I mean you, you... It, it's
4: based off the Westminster Confession of yes, Faith,
3: yes, and I that's Calvinism.
4: No one, de- no one denies that. So I'm just saying... That, he, he's laughing, but that's what Orthodox Presbyterians are known for, their rigid stance for the Westminster Confession of Faith, which essentially supports John Calvin and his assessment of what the Scripture says. On the other hand, I'm an admitted, sometimes alone, lone Christianarchist. And, and, and uh, I reject all religious traditions. I reject brick and mortar demands. I reject all claims men make toward possessing authority in God's name. Where Jason, I assume, believes that he has the authority to speak and teach, and in my case uh, attack me and the things I believe, I'm ambivalent about your individual righteousness and, uh, and I claim no authority at all to judge you. Now this has nothing to do with the fact that I don't preach what is sin. And it has nothing to do with teaching the gospel. and has nothing to do with not saying, hey, you want to have the spirit get in you and you want it to overwhelm you and you want to put your sin away. I teach all that day after day. But I am not in a position as a man and neither is Jason to tell you that you're in sin because Jason's in sin. And so am I. And if he, he, he talks about righteousness, if a person's going to talk about righteousness, by God, they better be righteous. And Jason's not and neither am I. So when we have men who have used the Bible and they've taken it out of context and they say the Bible gives me the authority to point fingers and say, you better, you better. Okay, you here, you there. I say, I don't agree with that. I am responsible to God. I will answer to God. God is my judge, not my pastor. I, as the one who teaches here at campus, I'm not your judge. You know, you know. really, it's interesting. If you really want to summarize Jason and I, the name of his show is Ancient Paths. It speaks to orthodoxy. It speaks to tradition of men, extreme tradition of men and scholars, ivory tower scholars, They're smart guys. And ours is heart of the matter. I can care less about the superfluous. I strip it away. We get to the heart of an issue and try to understand how it applies to people in this day and age. Add into the fact that Jason's soft-spoken, he's a kind and affable man, and I have fits and spasms that are so obnoxious that people wonder if I am possessed or not. And here's the deal, though. We are simply different Christian men. There is no theology exam when we die. God is not going to say, did you follow Calvin? Did you, were you an Arminianist?" Did you baptize babies? Did you listen to your pastor when he said this? When you disagreed? None of that stuff's going to matter. He talks about, in his opening statements, about how we need to follow the commandments. He, he doesn't uh, mention that in, in 1 John 3.23, it tells us what those commandments are. To believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to love. That's what we preach. Belief and love. Jason has gone back into the text and he says, no, we're going to preach righteousness. How can you do that when we're not righteous? Paul says, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul wasn't righteous. Only by Christ Jesus are we righteous. And I completely endorse that. I know there is nothing good in any of us without Christ Jesus. And so we are on the same page. Uh, I know Jason has a love of God. I know he loves the Lord Jesus. He loves the Bible. He loves truth. So do I. I believe Jason has a great love for all those things, but when the rubber meets the road, I'll bet that Jason feels bad when he does things wrong. So do I. I bet he wants to share the gospel with other people. So do I. I bet he cares about the people in his congregation. So do I. So why are we fighting? Why is this going on between us? What are we doing here, Jason? I mean, there are so many reasons to mock what we are doing right now. I really am embarrassed to be doing this, but I had to confront him publicly. I mean, there's people dying right now. There's people who don't have food on their table down the street at the hotel. And we're we're trying to argue over the color of God's eyes. It's ridiculous what doctrine and dogma what does orthodox presbyterianism mean? to a teenager who needs Jesus out in the country and will never know what liberalism is and never know what conservatism is and, and could die tonight not knowing what Trinity is, not knowing what any of this is, but the Spirit speaks to that teen and he accepts Jesus. What does all this matter? It doesn't mean anything, but men make mountains out of mohills so they have jobs, so they have power, so they have control, so that they can run church, And they use the Bible to beat the crud out of people in order to do it. Now, I'm not saying Jason does. There are a lot of great pastors, and I say this frequently, a lot of them. I met them. I know them far better than I will ever be. But the thing is, we have let tradition, we have let errant tradition step in and take the reins of what is a spiritual church. I've been accused by Jason of being Gnostic, if I'm I'm not correct in that, I'm sorry, I am not a Gnostic. All I am saying is it's the Holy Spirit that Jesus left the church and and the Holy Spirit works upon us. He moves into us. He guides us individually. And that Holy Spirit is our guide and that Holy Spirit is what makes us responsible before God for what we believe, what we do, the sins we commit and and everything else. And to make it and put it and seed it into an institution I'm rhetorically asking, Jason, I'm asking you, let me ask you something. Since Constantine till today, organized brick and mortar church, has it done more good or less? How many lives have been killed, uh, taken? How many people have suffered at the hands of organized religion since Constantine till today? We're talking about John Calvin too. We're talking about all of it versus the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives. There's no comparison because the Holy Spirit in people's lives never has done any harm since Constantine till today. But the churches in men's hands does harm every day of the week. Now, Jason says it's because I'm LDS and I was burned by that. I consider that God's providence. Maybe he had me raised a Latter-day Saint so I would understand what religious abuse and ecclesiastical abuses are. And I could spot them more readily. You know, when I meet LDS people, they have a keen eye for religious BS. They can see it and they say, that is not copacetic. Unless they check their brain in and they go along with traditions and they say, this is how we do it because it's always been done that way and this is how it's right. In my estimation, unity and love and the freedom of Christ's promise can only thrive when authority and dogma and demands and division and denominations have become secondary or tertiary or irrelevant. You know, you might think it's impossible to do this. It's not. We do it here at campus. Did you know that Jason could come into campus on Sunday? He could stand at the back of the room and say, I'm a Calvinist, Sean, you're a heretic and this and that, and we'd say, good to see you, buddy. Sit down, have some brownies, whatever. We are able to stay together, have differences of opinion, have people say, I don't agree with you when you're done teaching and walk away. And yet everyone still seems to believe. How has that happened, darn it? Well, it's that Holy Spirit, he gets in there and he works in people's hearts and they love each other. They really do. And some of them say it's a trinity. And some of them say it's just one God. And some of them say, I think it's a benity, Jesus and God, but not the Holy Spirit. But we have religions come in and they say, no, no, no. This is the standard that was set by men of great inspiration. Irenaeus and Origen and all the Polycarp and and they they knew John and, and we take the Bible now. And you know what? It's just a game. And I know it hurts people's feelings especially people like Jason who love the Lord and he loves his church. The thing I'm trying to say is why is there room for orthodoxy? Why is there room for me to accept Jason and his orthodoxy and not do programs where I take parts of his show and mock his Calvinism? I mock Calvinism, but I don't mock Jason. And yet he decides that he has it in his purview to come after me personally, to assassinate my character as a Christian, to refer to me as a Gnostic, as a Joseph Smith. Let me tell you something. I'll tell you something right now. Joseph Smith said all the churches were wrong. I essentially say all the churches don't matter. And I say, if people wanna go to those churches, have at it. You wanna be a Calvinist? I love ya. You wanna be a Seventh-day Adventist? Fine, you wanna be a Mormon? (laughs) Be my guest, I've been there, done that. You wanna be a Catholic? Go ahead. Do what you need to do in that way because the Holy Spirit is moving on you. If you're a seeker of truth, let the truth work in you. We have the Bible. We all teach it differently. All of us. Jason uh, is with the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church. You know what's interesting about that? There's a group called the Trinity Foundation. Do you know that they have volumes, volumes of paperwork and articles? And you know what they say? the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is headed for hell. They have fallen apart. They have lost their way. When does it end? When does the chaos end? When, it, when, when we say, I'm right, you're wrong, I know God better, you know him less. I don't care if you're a Catholic. I don't care if you're a Muslim. I don't care if you're a Mormon or a Buddhist or an atheist. God is calling And if he's calling you there in those faiths, he will bring you out. He will bring you to truth. I do not downplay hell. I do not downplay eternal uh, punishment. I just say I don't believe it's going to go on forever. I think God is good and merciful and just. And I think through the Greek we've proven that. I wish we had the time to be able to go into that. How much time do I have? Three minutes. When's it going to end? When can we get along? When will... The guy down the street who teaches rapture, I think it's it's, uh, uh, comical for me. But that guy says, well, saying uh, Jesus' returned in 70 AD is comical. That's okay. We can say these different beliefs are comical. But when can we say, believe what you want? Doctrine, dogma, division, denominationalism is the antithesis of what Jesus came for. He came to bring us in one body, one baptism, one Lord. And I am not preaching ecumenical uh, approaches. I'm not saying let's all sing kumbaya and be one world church. I am just saying that the individuals involved in church need to be able to express themselves need to be able to question, need to be able to challenge authority, need to be able to say, I don't trust religious tradition. They need to be able to say, just because a bunch of men have said this, I don't see the Bible saying that and they ought to have the right to do it. Christianity ought to be, and this is where I say the historians have gotten, not the historians, but the early church fathers have gotten it wrong. It's not an objective religion that's imposed upon us. It is a subjective religious experience only made possible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that God calls to those people he is choosing and electing for this period of time He draws them out. He makes them his. And it has no bearing on what denomination you attend. It has no bearing whether you pay tithes or obey a Sabbath day or dress right or eat right. Or if you have a problem with porn, we are not saved by our righteousness. We are saved by our faith. We show our faith by our love. That is it. There is no more of this other right. And that is clear in a contextual understanding. If Jason wants to come back for the next year, we can take each of these subjects and do this. And I think in the end, I will, I will show that I think the way I'm, I'm reading it isn't so bad. I want to know why Jason's interpretation, why the interpretations of the Bible by men 1,800 years long are better than mine. Why are they better than yours? Why is my interpretation better than yours? If the Holy Spirit is calling and leading, I trust God. Why don't we start doing that?
1: Thank you for your time. I'd like to thank Sean for his opening statement. We're going to take a quick, a quick break, uh, and when we come back, we'll open it up for the pastors to ask each, other's question, uh, each other questions. We'll start with you, Jason. Uh, for the viewing audience, stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So we're going to open the floor. We're going to start with our guest, Jason Wallace, he's going to be able to ask Sean some questions. Uh, Jason, we'd we'd like it to be uh, about a minute for the question. We'll give Sean three minutes to respond. You'll be able to follow up with a three minute uh, follow up and a minute for Sean to read. Okay.
3: Sean, Judaizers and docetists claim to be Christian brothers. Uh, Was it wrong of Paul and John to criticize them and exclude them on the basis of doctrine?
4: Um, I want to explain right now my view on this, and this is why it's so difficult to have the conversation. Is my mic on? uh, The Bible was written at a time, I have three minutes. Just imagine the Old Testament being a river flowing down toward the ocean. And there's Jews in it, and there's sometimes Gentiles jumping in toward after Jesus came, and it moves toward the ocean. We have the ocean vast, straight horizon out there. That's Christianity across the world. Well, right when that river hits that ocean, you get chop. You get extreme chop. You get squirreling motions, and it's a very dangerous place. I learned to surf in a place like this. All right? That New Testament was written in that place of chop. That New Testament was written by 12 apostles, 11 that survived and then Paul, that Jesus called and he said, listen, they're gonna take your life too. They're gonna hate you like they hated me you're gonna face some real difficulty here. You're gonna have women speaking in churches. You're gonna have Judaizers coming in and this is how to do it, all right? This is what to do and they were writing letters to each other and those letters were passed around and they were not ubiquitously transferred. Not everybody had them. So in terms of that time and place, Jason, absolutely what it was, how they said it and what it meant, I agree with it completely. Does it apply to us today? does that same exact place apply to us when the ocean and where we live as Christians is a completely different place? So I, this is the thing we have pastors who take, they read the Bible and they say, this is how you have to understand the Bible because that's what they did. That's what we do. It doesn't work because that's all you have are a bunch of people arguing about what everything means. And you have a bunch of people saying, no, you can do this. You can speak tongues. No, you can't. There's gifts. There's healing. No, there's not. We baptize babies. Jason baptizes infants. They baptize infants. Do I get on him for that? No, I think it's crazy, but he does it. You see, this is the thing. We're all going to pull from that, what we want to pull from it, and build our empires on. So I agree with you, Jason, in context of what it was. Yes, there was a purpose for that, but not now. Does that answer your question? Sure. Three minutes.
3: Three minutes. Uh, The Apostle Paul, in dealing with the Judaizers, uh, tells the Galatians, he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He goes on to say that if they are circumcised, this is a matter of doctrine. But hey, doctrine doesn't matter. It's the love of Christ. Doctrine is antithetical. No, the Apostle Paul says, if you are circumcised, Christ profits you nothing. It is a denial of Christ. The Apostle John, the beloved disciple, says that these people who are saying that the body of Christ is totally spiritual, has no physical reality, that these are not Christian brothers, no matter what they may claim, no matter what love they may uh, profess. He calls them Antichrist. And in doctrine, uh, there is Christian liberty. Romans 14, there are some people esteem one day above another. Sean basically seems to think that any uh, holding fast to certain doctrines means that we're going to exclude anyone over everything. Wrong. There is Christian liberty. Some people eat only vegetables. Some people eat everything. Uh, There's differences between the brothers, but there are things that are non-negotiable. Who is God? Who is man? What is sin? Who is Jesus Christ? What is salvation? What the Judaizers were putting forth was another gospel that was no gospel. He warns the Corinthians of those who would profess another Christ. Doctrine is not antithetical. It is part and parcel, and it is commended over and over by the apostles.
4: One minute. Uh, Jason pointed out something really important. He p- p- quoted uh, from scripture how uh, Paul said that circumcision, that it was actually meant what? Hmm? Circumcision meant what? If they were thinking circumcision was anything, that they weren't yeah, yeah, of yeah. Christ, right?
3: Well, no, he says if they're circumcised, Galatians 5. If they're circumcised, yeah, if they, what? If, if you're circumcised, yeah. basically trying to add to the, to the works of Christ. Okay, I've been circumcised. But you're not circumcised following the Judaizers. No, I think I was. Okay. I mean,
4: my parents were pretty radical. They thought I should follow. I was named Aaron after Aaron in the Old Testament. They thought cutting off the end of my penis was important. Am I not a follower of Christ? Do you see yeah. the problem when you take a passage? You disproved it, you're saying that the scripture says that if we are cir- uh, circumcised, we are nothing in Christ. How do we take that, Jason? Should we walk around with uncircumcised uh, units now? This is the problem. You, your very premise that you used to me,
3: showed that there's a problem with it. Okay, go ahead. That was my minute. Sean completely ignores the context. This is not whether someone has been circumcised uh, by their parents. This is a question of Gentiles who have not been circumcised, who are following the Judaizers, circumcising themselves. And they are doing it because they, they think that they have to add their works to Christ. It is Christ plus their observance of the law. And that is, that is another gospel. It is either all of Christ or it is all of works. So Sean's saying that he was circumcised as a child.
5: He,
3: a he, he, how do you understand the book of Galatians and, so, and make that comparison?
4: It was just a joke. Okay, uh, okay. Uh, uh,
3: uh, well. Can we start the question? Anyway. We
1: have time for about
3: two more questions here. Sure. Okay All right uh, let's see here. Sean, uh, you say that your understanding of the second coming being in 70 AD is key to understanding that these things are not applicable to our own day. And yet isn't it true that seven years ago, when you were a futurist, that you also rejected? Uh, Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 is applying to the church. Uh, I
4: don't know if I did. If I did, you say I did. I believe you did your homework. I probably did. Look, I'm a, I'm a work in progress, which is really unfortunate. I know people want me not to be and to have all the answers down, but I don't. I've grown in my faith on, on TV and on, on the screen, and I continue to pursue, and I'm sure the things that I think about 70 AD could be altered in the future too. That's why I say constantly, Jason, don't trust me. You know, I'm kind of like a gadfly. I speak, I teach, I give evidence, and then I hope people will take it and say, okay, let's churn this up and let's talk about it. Let's do this. Instead, what do we get? We get ostracization. We get accusations that you're not a Christian. We get accusations that I'm a Gnostic. We don't have brotherly love in this church. We have utter, utter meanness we have terrible meanness, all based on doctrine. I'd have no problem with you, Jason, if you called me on the phone and said, you know, Sean, you're off your rocker on 70 AD, Uh, let's talk about it, I'd say, fine, let's do it. But that's not what happens, my brother. What happens is there's infighting and there's meanness, and that is antithetical to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You wanna talk about Jesus' return, we can do it. Anybody who's watched our show knows I've given ample evidence as to why I believe what I believe on that. Um, that's all I can say.
3: Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, uh, I had a conversation with Sean over seven years ago. Sean was dispensational at the time out of out coming at, having not been out of Calvary very long. Uh, he said that Matthew 18 was for a different dispensation. First Corinthians five, that he thinks he thought we were just supposed to receive everyone. I think that his theology has evolved to support those basic commitments, and they're wrong. He says there's a lack of love. Sean has attacked what the church has held dear in terms of its understanding of who Jesus is, calling it garbage, calling it heinous, accusing pastors of being pompous and uh, greedy and uh, trying to control people. He says that I've tried to assassinate his character and his Christianity. Because I say, you're teaching error and you're teaching it publicly. And I have tried to correct him personally and I have uh, known of many other people who've tried to correct him and he hasn't been corrected. And he's going out on the airwaves. When I go out on the airwaves, I'm fair game. What I stand for, lots of other people have held to. Sean doesn't like labels. He, He puts labels on other people The reason I'm hesitant about Calvinist is only because it's been twisted in terms of what it means. What I believe is straightforward. Yes, I hold to the Westminster Confession of Faith as as containing what the Bible teaches in terms of a summary of those teachings. Okay. Um, Sean picks the fight and uses the strongest terms for it. But then if we respond in any way, we're assassinating his character and he complains there's a lack of love. How do we respond?
4: Jason, I have plenty of people in here who disagree with me all the time. I get along with them fine. You're painting a, a picture. Uh, it's true, I do come out guns a-blazing, but uh, I, don't, I don't assign it personally to individuals. I try very hard not to uh, let people know uh, my feelings for how they do things in the state. I never, ever have told anybody the seven churches, well, I might have told one person, uh, the seven churches that we visited, uh, 10 churches. I'm not out to destroy people's character. I I believe in the liberty of people to worship how, where, and what they may, like Joseph Smith said. No connection, I just believe that's a good thing that he happened to teach. And I just think we could use more of that. I think there's too much dogma. I think there's too much tradition. And I think that you stand on that and, and you make you make strong points on it and you're calling people to righteousness and you're calling people to this. And, and I just think that we ought to back up and we ought to try to put some of the doctrines away. That's all. Dr.
3: Wallace, one more question. Do you still believe in water baptism and the Lord's Supper? Um, I,
4: I love water baptism, believe in it. I've never believed in it. I wasn't even baptized when I started doing the show. I I believe that it's a good thing. I don't think it has any uh, relation to salvation. And the Lord's Supper, I think uh, was, Jesus said, obviously, Jason, you know this. He said, do this until I come. Well, I believe he came. So I don't think it has application. We do it sometimes here at campus, but it's more of just like a memorial to do. It has no bearing on uh, any type of um, ritual that's demanded. No, because Jesus said, do this until I come and he came.
3: The reason I ask this is because these are physical aspects. And the more that you follow this line of thinking, the more you see that it, the world is not fundamentally different. We're still sinners. We're still, uh, as Christians, righteous sinners, forgiven and being sanctified. Yeah. But, all the, but uh, this idea of Jesus having come in 70 AD, basically, if the epistles don't apply to us, why does the gospel apply to us? What, what's explicit in the gospels? What's explicit anywhere in scripture that it's for our day? I mean, when you start going down this path, it, 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 you can't consistently hold to it, but it gets applied selectively and it's a problem. And, and observing it when Christ said, do it till I come, if you think he came, why are you doing what he said to do after you, if you believe He's already come. So I mean, it, it's there are issues here. And I think it points to an abandonment of what the church clearly was in the first century and how it does really apply to us today.
4: What the church was in the first century has been taken. Jesus said, uh, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He told Peter that. The apostles were there warning of Jesus' imminent return, telling them to hang on, be prepared. And he came back and he saved his church like the apostles promised he would. Jesus said, I'll return within a generation. He, he was true to his word. He said that and he was true to his word. I mean, uh, uh, R.C. Sproul said, Maybe our forefathers have been wrong on this. You know, I, I think that it's, it's really easy to understand. And if he came back and got his church, the question I have is have the gates of hell prevailed? against the church since. (laughs) Give me a break. I mean, ask yourself the question, has anybody ever gone to hell because they have been involved in a church since 70 AD to this day? If you can say, no, every single church person because of their involvement in church has gone to heaven. Well, then you've won the argument. But if anybody has lost faith and gone to hell because of the church, then we can say that the church has not done it any good. The church has done nothing but harm in terms of the grand general spectrum. Am I out?
1: All right. Okay, we're going to turn the time over to Sean. He'll be asking you a few questions.
4: Jason, John Calvin said, there are babies a span long in hell. Do you agree with that? Can you
3: repeat that, please?
4: John Calvin said, there are babies a span long. That's a long line of babies
3: in hell. Do you agree with that? The uh, Bible doesn't say whether there are babies in hell. Uh, we are all born sinners. God is just to send any of us to hell, but I'm not going to speculate. I don't know what Calvin, I mean, I haven't seen the context of what Calvin says there. I don't follow things because Calvin said them. So you don't agree with it? I uh, disagree. I'm not sh- actually clear in terms of it. Are there babies, babies in hell? Alone, are there right? babies in hell? Is there any baby in hell?
4: Uh, scripture doesn't tell me that's you know that you know that's not you know you're really not being forthright here no i am being I mean, forthright i think you really do have the probably West- taught somewhere He's, that babies are in hell
3: okay go uh ahead. the the westminster confession says elect infants dying in infancy uh go go to heaven but it leaves it there the westminster confession purposely leaves it vague who are the elect infants i don't know but children uh we're born sinners uh or else babies wouldn't die. So uh, whether whether I died at uh, conception or whether I died as an old man, I was deserving of hell. But God elects whom he will.
4: So as a follow-up then, you do believe that non-elect babies are in hell? Yeah, if there are any. If there are any non-elect babies are in hell. Okay, just wanted to know. I mean, simple yes or no. I think we're... I don't claim to have all the answers. What is the standard the church is governed by, Pastor Wallace? The Word of God. The Word of God. Contained in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. Okay. Who has the right to add to the Word of God or take away from it? God. No one else? No. You use the word Trinity. Is that in the Word of God? Nope. Haven't you added to it? Nope. You use it, don't you? I use English. It's not in the Bible either. Don't you use it to describe God? Isn't that uh, I, something that you got on my case for? Because
3: I said, look, it's not in the Bible. No, I never got on your case for not using the term Trinity. That was... That was for rejecting total, the tenets of the t- Trinity? That was a total... Oh, the, the tenets of the Trinity. The tenets, yes. Yeah, I mean, the the Bible is very clear. There's one God. Yeah, I agree with that. How about the other the, tenets? Uh, the Bible is very clear that the Father is God, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet, despite the fact that there is identity, there's also... Uh, there's also... Uh, differences between them can you they're, um, they're well, not identical can we go back and forth to speed it up can you tell me what the leaders of your church are called above you uh, there is no one above me we are uh, I'm part of a session with other a what I'm part of a session is that in the Bible no uh, where did that come from it's an English term haven't describe-
4: you added to the Word of God by the, by the, you said just now that what's the standard the church is governed by and you said the word of God, Old and New Testament that's what you said, I gave you the chance you said this is what it's governed by and now you're telling me that you have something called a session what is that? Sean, the word Jesus is not in the Bible either but you use that every yeah. day yeah, but I would use Jesus if I could but I don't yeah. speak the language but session has no relationship there's no uh, Greek uh, word for session that you use it for sorry Jason, uh, Sean, you lost Sean. that one Sean, no, I haven't lost it, Sean. You, sola you fide, say, yeah. sola scriptura, baptism of children in the Bible, Jason? Yes. Baptism of babies, infants? Yes. Wow. Where's that?
3: Uh, I, I don't have time to answer in those. Okay, uh, it's got to uh, be one long, first, convoluted
4: answer because nope. I certainly
3: don't recognize that one. You just
4: said I, I can, that the standard I, of the get, church is governed by the Word of God, and just now I gave you, give want you me five to, things. I'm,
3: I'm happy to answer the question, Sean. If you actually want to give me some time here, all right. Go but ahead. You, you said you couldn't, but go ahead. No, not in the not in the time that you were trying to allow me. All right. Three okay. Three minute answer. Children were very clearly in the visible church in the Old Testament. They were given the sign of circumcision, which was inclusion in the covenant community. We see that practiced uh, even after the Jerusalem council. Children are are given circumcision, we see when Paul comes to Jerusalem after his third missionary journey. What we see in the promise of the new covenant is that it is made to Israel. It is made to Israel and to their children. The promise all through the Old Testament was, I will be a God to you and to your children after you. Sign of circumcision, Romans 4, is a seal of the righteousness Abraham had by faith. It's applied not only to him, but also to all the males in his household. Israel was called a holy nation. Membership in that visible church, uh, the congregation, as we usually translate it in the, from the Hebrew, was translated ekklesia in the, in the Greek Septuagint. Children were in that, in that Ecclesia. When you understand that that is the backdrop for the whole New Testament, then household baptisms. Paul's statement in 1 Corinthians seven fourteen that the child of even one believer is holy to the Lord and a host of other things make perfect sense. No one for the first 1500 years of church history ever understood that baptism was only restricted to believers, but it included believers and their children. Does that make them right with God? Does that save them? No, it's not baptismal regeneration, but they are set apart. They are holy to the Lord. And there's a whole lot more to it, but I think my three minutes is probably up.
4: Uh, You'll notice he did not uh, say it was where it was. He just gave us Old Testament <laughs> constructs. And then he went on to say that the ecclesia included children. So therefore, they, I mean, it just makes sense. They must be baptized and again, if, they, if Jason wants to teach that and believe that and do that, it's probably a beautiful thing. I have no problem with it, whatever it is. My point, don't take this wrong. I'm challenging him because I'm trying to show him that the tenets of his faith are not completely biblical. And then I have to ask Jason, what does he think of tongues? What does he think of healings? What does he think of gifts of the Spirit? What does he think of women speaking in church? What does he think of widows? Should widows have to go through the seven steps that the Bible uh, dictates that they have to go through in order to get help from the church? We could go on and on and on. And in the end, what it will amount to is Jason saying, well, this is how we see it. And then we have other people saying, this is how we see it. And then we have this. And it's lost in the commandment of believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and love each other. And that is why I'm ardently challenging these things because I don't think he has room to stand on. Does he get one more minute?
1: You've got one last question.
4: One last question. Where do you get your authority to teach, to baptize, to disciple people, discipline people in God's name,
3: Jason? From the church. uh, Sean has set forward this idea that if I use any term that's not found apparently in the original languages or anything that's used as shorthand, that I'm adding to the word of God. No, uh, the authority I have is from the church, by the laying okay. on of the hand of the presbytery, uh, just like you see with Timothy, and that actually is a word that you find in the New Testament, yes. presbytery. Uh, I so, didn't
4: mention that one. We're having it back and forth in my question time. I think that's fair, right? My
3: question, I'm, we're having it back I'm, and uh,
1: forth. Uh, no, but,
3: um, but anyway, I don't claim to have all the answers. But the Bible gives us information for a purpose. The Apostle Paul declared the whole counsel of God. My calling as an elder is made very clear in Titus chapter 1. The Apostle Paul says there, that an elder should be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. There is a calling of elders to stand and to uh, stand positively for the truth, but also to oppose error. So the source of my uh, authority, as you like to say, is as a brother, there are elders appointed in the church. Uh, we don't, uh, we're specifically limited from, okay, we're specifically prohibited from lording ourselves over people. Hebrews 13:17. I am going to stand before a holy God and give an answer for having kept watch over people's souls. And that's something that is serious. It is. And to shoot from the hip guns a-blazing is not something that you find in Titus in terms of how I'm supposed to act. But I am supposed to stand for the truth. There are elders. And it's not shut up and do what I say because of me, but my, the source of my authority is ministerial and declarative of the Word of God. And that is my only infallible rule of faith and practice, despite what you say, Sean. My follow-up?
6: Three minutes.
4: Yeah. Thank you. Uh, my follow-up is, Jason, I, I want to know where you get your authority, who laid their hands, who ordained you, who were they ordained, where did they get their authority? I want the line. You say I need to be under authority. You say I need to be accountable. I want to know where you get the line from. I mean, Luther, he was, you know, he was from the Catholic Church, which was just falling apart when, when the Protestant Reformation came, so he didn't get it from the Catholic Church. Luther, I mean, the old guy, what's his name? Mention, is that right? Am I pronouncing that right? Who started the Greek Orthodox, I mean, the, uh, the Orthodox Presbyterians. He broke off from the Presbyterian church because he didn't think they were uh, Orthodox enough. Where did he get the authority to fight against? Do you? Do you understand, Jason, that you are criticizing me for an attitude of fighting against the system when Christ Jesus was criticized and crucified for the same thing? No? Nope. He wasn't, he, wasn't, uh, he wasn't fighting against the religious rulers of the day. Let's look at Luther. I mean, aren't you glad Luther said, I'm not going to listen to the authority? You say I need to be accountable. What? Aren't you glad Luther wasn't accountable to the Catholic Church? Aren't you glad the guy who founded the Orthodox Presbyterian Church wasn't accountable to the Presbyterians? Aren't you glad? Because now you have the Orthodox Presbyterian Church to, to stand up for, don't you? I mean, look, this it's all fake authority. No one has the authority. The Catholics pretend to, but their popish authority didn't begin until 600 AD. So no one has authority. They all claim to. I want to know where Jason got his authority to be ordained.
3: What gives you the right? One minute. One minute? Okay. It's easy to paint with a very broad brush and just make all kinds of wild accusations. The reality is the gates of hell have not prevailed against Christ's church. There has been a church through the centuries and it has been more and less corrupt. There are some churches that have gone off and become synagogues of Satan, but there are also those who have held fast to God's word and and some of them have sealed their faith with, their, faith with their blood. I was ordained by Central Georgia Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America uh, uh, I'm, I have one minute I don't have time to answer all that, but I'd be happy to answer but there is a historic church and it has agreed on these things that Sean denies and uh, it's not fake. church history is messy, but it doesn't mean that it uh this this is this is the arguing of Joseph Smith, that the church has lost all authority and we need a new priesthood. Only it's you who's now the prophet or, or someone else. But has the, if, the, if, if the Bible has not been understood, why do you think it can be understood now? Is there a new prophet? Is the Holy Spirit being poured out f- fresh for the first time? That's the problem.
1: Gentlemen, thank you. Uh, this time we're going to, we'll start with uh, Pastor McCraney for your closing statements. Um, when they're done, if anyone out there has a question, we're going to have a couple of minutes for questions. If you will line up over here to the right, your left, um, we'll, uh, we'll uh, give you a chance to ask the pastors a couple of questions. How Pastor long do McCranny? I have, Mark? I can't ten, remember. Ten minutes.
4: John 2, 24 says, Jesus did not commit himself unto them because he knew all men. And he needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in man. John three twenty one says, He that comes from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. That's my God and King, not man. 1 Corinthians two eleven says, For what man knoweth the things of a man? save the spirit of man that is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the spirit of God. I do not challenge anyone to follow me or my teachings or ideas. Jason has said I'm a cult leader on his program. He's called me a cult leader. We are the antithesis of, I have it right here. I'm the antithesis of a cult leader. I don't want to be a cult leader. I don't want you to bug me. I want you to go out and do your own thing. I want you to figure it out for yourself between you and God. The cult leader really was insulting. 1 Corinthians 2.15, He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he, must, yet he himself is judged of no man. No man is what Paul said. What are we doing standing in front of men who think that they can judge us? Paul says we are judged of no man. For other foundation can no man lay that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I stand on him. Is there something so wrong with it? Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Jason doesn't tell you that he had to get a degree, doesn't tell you that that's how he got the ordination, doesn't tell you that intellectualism, doesn't tell you that you have to be superior in terms of your education to be part of the uh, Orthodox Presbyterian uh, clergy. He doesn't tell you that that's how he got his, uh, his laying on of hands or ordination. You won't find somebody in the Orthodox Presbytery uh, who uh, doesn't have a PhD or a doctorate or a, uh, or a higher degree or at least a bachelor's to be able to preach. What about Jesus' apostles? What were they? Fishermen. He laughs. He laughs, yeah, because, he laughs because this intelligence and these doctrines have taken precedence over the spirit, over the broken, over the humble. All the smart guys, they know what it's all about. Volumes of information about what one word means. We read the word, the Holy Spirit fills us, we're free. Women can teach the word. They can speak in church. That's an archaic old notion. Can women speak in the Orthodox? No, no, because they took a cultural application that existed during that tumultuous time that I explained and they apply it still today. It's time for change. I'll tell you why. I care about our kids. I care about our kids being fed stuff that is not gonna work for them. This world is tough. And these guys and their stodgy ivory tower intellectualism do not reach the heart of kids who want to know the truth. They wanna hear what Jesus is. They wanna know that they can't escape some of the sin in their flesh, but he loves them anyway. This is what we need to do now. Because until we do, as long as this facade keeps going. It's going to dwindle. We're going to look like Europe pretty soon where the churches are dead. I mean, we ought to have a vibrant church, and we ought not to be at each other's throats. I'm not saying, Jason, you can't teach your orthodoxy. There are people, you have some guys here, I hear them cackling. They like the high ivory tower thought. Fine. I like the lowbrow thought. Fine. Can't we love each other, Jason? Am I your brother in, this is rhetorical, am I your brother in Christ? Am I a Christian or not, Jason? I want to hear you answer that in your closing statement.
3: Uh, can I ask a question before I get started, uh, Curtis? Am I able to mention your former occupation or uh, and what what grade did you finish? Ninth grade. Um, my brother, there, member of our presbytery, uh, you finished ninth grade, right? He's he's a ninth-grade graduate, former drug dealer, and he is a full member of the uh, Presbyterian of the Dakotas of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. He's a pastor. He is pastor, yes.
4: Ordination? Yes. That's pretty cool. I'm sorry, I was wrong. I was wrong. You're welcome. You're welcome. It's okay, we don't need to get, I'm wrong. I am wrong a lot, so it's okay. Obviously, thank you for that. Truth
3: matters. It does matter. Yes. Uh, Sean has great passion, but sometimes facts get convoluted. At the Inquisition, he said that more Christians killed each other. I think he said, what, between 342 and 343 than the Roman Empire had had killed. He was asked repeatedly, where did you get that? Because those who know the history understand that that's 180 degrees opposite of what took place during that time period. I don't know that he ever provided it to James White, but uh, facts matter, not just in terms of dressing things up, but the conclusions that are drawn from them. Sean. Uh,
1: Pastor Wallace, your closing statement. Yes, yes, I'm
3: sorry, this is part of it. Sean uh, paints with a very broad brush. All traditions seem to be man-made. All religious organizations are oppressive, so, when Paul instructs the Ephesian elders to shepherd the flock and to, to feed them and to guard them, uh, I don't see that there's any differentiation that he makes between them and the Pharisees. Because they're a religious group. They're, they're religious, they're, they're institutional religion. Now the reality is there's a huge difference between the Pharisees who are trying to kill Jesus And what Jesus establishes, he establishes a visible church with real elders. And there is a real church that you have to hear. There is abuse. There is is all kinds of perversions of Christianity. And people tacking Jesus on to their politics, to their social programs, to their visions, and all the other things. But you don't get to lump everybody else in there that's what harold camping did harold camping said that there's problems in the churches there always have been problems in the churches and his answer is abandon the churches let's do something new alexander campbell in the 1820s said the church there's too much confusion out there let's do something new let's just be simple christians what does he do he introduces numerous other denominations as they start Revisiting old heresies. Joseph Smith comes along and picks up those pieces. People like Sidney Rigdon taps into that idea that the church has lost its authority. There's too much confusion. Let's just, let's do something with the spirit now. The reality is the church has had the spirit. There is a Catholic small c faith. The Bible has been understood. We know who Jesus is. Do I know everything? No. Do I I differ from true brothers about a host of things? Of course I do. Uh, Dale Finley, who was at the Inquisition, I brought him. He's a personal friend. He's an Arminian Baptist. And among evangelicals, if you know your theology, we're on different ends of the spectrum. We both tremble at God's word. We're not at each other's throats. We both understand that what Sean has been teaching about the Trinity and these other things, they're not good. They have, we've been here before. We've dealt with these things. It's easy to say, I'm not part of anything that's gone before. This is all new. But when you know church history, a whole bunch of people have said that. And they've articulated many of the same positions, and they don't end well. Yes, I stand for the faith once for all. The same term for Jesus' sacrifice. Once for all delivered to the saints. The Orthodox Presbyterian Church is not an ivory tower uh, religion. We take very seriously that we are supposed to be able to handle God's word. But here we have a man who doesn't fit ivory tower at all, but he is a faithful minister and he has labored because he knows that he has to stand before a holy God. This is the church God purchased with his own blood. And what the apostles are saying is not the matter of the color of God's eyes. When you tell a lesbian, when you, when you say that a, a woman who is living as a lesbian is a Christian, you are denying 1 Corinthians 6, Galatians 5. Yes, you are, because there is a fundamental difference. Uh, I am not, righteous in myself. I deserve hell more than anybody I know. I see people shaking their heads in the back. Uh, I stand only on the righteousness of Jesus Christ, but I am indwelt by his spirit and I'm not the man I used to be. I still deserve hell as much as anything. My own righteousness are as filthy rags, but whom he has called, he has justified in whom he has justified, he is painfully, slowly sanctifying lesbian or not such were some of you but you've been washed but you have been sanctified but you've been justified there's a fundamental difference the grace that that is put forward is a grace that transforms how uh, I didn't get a chance to ask the question but what if Sean is wrong What if he's telling the lesbian, uh, well, it'd be better for you if you weren't a lesbian, you know, if you weren't practicing lesbianism. But hey, if you're trusting in Jesus, you're fine. How do you deal? True faith comes, I'm, I'm seeing all kinds of reactions here in the back. True faith is brought by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit always brings repentance as well. He indwells us. He chastens us. He gives us that way of escape. My own righteousness is not what justifies me in the least. But this is a a different gospel. And And it matters when that person goes and stands before Jesus. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. And he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Sean is pressing me whether I uh, consider him a Christian brother. Jesus says in Matthew 18, If they will not hear the church, let them be to you as a heathen and a tax collector. I can't judge his heart. I have made no pretense, despite his claims, to judge his character or his Christianity. He told me last week he had never seen my show, so I don't know how he says that I was stringing these things together out of context. I've worked very hard to deal with these things in context. But can anybody question him without assassinating his character? It matters whether Jesus came back in 70 AD. It matters whether there's a visible church. Sean says he is accountable only to God. In the first century You would be, uh, the church, in terms of dealing with you, is specifically instructed not to eat with you. It's specifically instructed to to, uh, call you to repentance and pray for you. That's not trying to judge someone's heart, but it is dealing with the visible church. And that's what Jesus said. And if you don't like that, deal with him. I'm not making it up. Where Sean's heart is, God knows. But it is a fearful thing. There are those who walk away from the faith. Hebrews 10. Do we believe it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Sean paints all organized religion with the same brush. And yet it's clear that there is organized religion that he sets up through his apostles. The alternative is disorganized religion. Sean has said that uh, when people settle into churches, they quit being seekers of truth. Is there ever a truth that that you can settle on and say, this I know? I don't have exhaustive truth, but I have true truth. I have truth that, that I will never have to doubt. I know there's a God. I know who Jesus Christ is. I know he died for the ungodly. I know these things and they are non-negotiable. I agree. Well, there are other things the apostle Paul says that this is that the issue with the Judaizers. It's another gospel and it is to deny Christ. John says, Issues of doctrine. There are, th- there are certain doctrines that are vital, and those who deny them are not brothers, they're Antichrist. I don't know where Sean is. It is presumptuous for me to ignore what Jesus says in Matthew 18 when he will not listen to any church anywhere. I count Dale Finley, an Armenian Baptist, who I tell in love that I think he's goofy on things. He tells me he thinks I'm goofy on things. But we recognize a new birth. We recognize uh, a visible church. We recognize the Trinity. So I, I receive him as a brother. There's a fundamental difference there. And this Rodney King, why can't we all just get along when it's over heaven and hell? Uh... We're not, we're, not, we're not being narrow and uh, picking things apart when we're talking about such fundamental issues.
1: Thank you, Pastor Wallace. Good job, Pastor we're going to take a couple minutes. We'll take some questions from the audience. If you have a question, you please come up. We'll try to get you on camera here. Jedediah. Oh, boy. Here comes Jed. We're in trouble now, aren't we? Yeah. Come here. Back here. You've got to see your smiley face.
7: Under 10 minutes? Okay. He said two, Jed. He said two. (laughs) Uh, Maybe we can lighten up a little bit. Uh, By the show of hands in here, how many of you love me? Hmm? Uh, Now us as Christians, I should have seen every hand. Did I see yours?
3: I don't know you, Jed.
7: If you do not have love, what do you have, okay? How many in here know (laughs) that I love them? Hurrah! You know that, don't you? Yeah. How many of you know that I serve my Lord Jesus Christ? Mm -hmm. Amen. How many of you know that we served 27,000 cups of coffee to the homeless last year? that I serve the homeless, that I see the people that do not go to church. I see the whores, I see the drunkards, I see the people sleeping in the street, the ones that will not go to church because of the abuse that they've had in the church. So we need to step back and love one another. My question is this, Jason, that we've talked about on Facebook. Um, I have followed the Lord my whole life, okay? He speaks to me. I hear him, okay? And he speaks to all of us, all right? I never picked up a Bible until I was 50 years old. And when I did and I read the Bible, I said, oh my God, you have been speaking to me my whole life in scripture. So I hear the Lord and the Bible confirms what he tells me.
1: Amen? Amen. brother. Thank you, Jedediah. Have anybody else with a question? Cassidy, come on over. Cassidy, keep it calm.
3: (laughs) Can I make a brief comment about? Absolutely. Uh, I I got groans when uh, the question was asked whether I love Jed. My love for my brothers is not this uh, amorphous, vague love. I don't know Jed. I've talked to Jed. Maybe Mary. Huh? What?
7: Don't do that please
3: I
4: mean i, I don't it's not your turn uh, i I don't know whose wife that is, but get, get her out of here
3: do I, do I have uh, do I have a general love for Christians? Yes, but when the question is asked, do you love me and I don't know the person I've talked to Jed for a total of maybe uh, three, four minutes in my life. I have to admit, he gave me the best, uh, or my, my favorite nickname ever, he called me on Facebook, Jason the Madman Wallace, which, <laughs> um, uh, that, that didn't offend me, I actually it's like, that's a whole lot cooler than what other people have called me. <laughs> but uh, I'm supposed to feel guilty that I, I I don't have the same love for someone I don't know as someone I do know? What yeah. What do
8: you need to know? Yeah. What do you need to know about him in order to love him?
3: Uh, what, what,
8: what do uh, you need to know about him in order to say you love him?
3: Number one, uh, I wouldn't have known Jed. J- I would not have known Jed if I had just seen stop. him- should on- stop,
8: it's embarrassing.
3: No, it's not embarrassing. It is
8: embarrassing. It's embarrassing that you've mocked him for a year taking his shows. You know, I'm angry at you. I'm his daughter. I'm angry and I have to repent to God for that. But I want you to know his whole family stands behind him. Every one of us, every one of us. I want you to know that the only thing that reminds me of the Mormon church is hearing that you had hands laid on you to be ordained. That's the only thing that reminds me of the Mormon church. I want you to answer me how James 2.10, that if you are guilty in one point, you are guilty of the whole law when it comes to the lesbian, the transsexual, when it comes to the liar, the murderer, the rapist. I wanna know all this. Okay, that's it. I wanna know
3: how you can love him and be angry at
9: him.
8: Oh, Jesus got angry. Jesus got angry. This is something that I have to work with with God. Hey, I'm admitting to a man right here feelings that I have towards him right. that are wrong. Right. And okay. I'm admitting that, but I'm gr- airing my grievances in front of people that I don't even know because he's offended me personally. Wait. You need to go. Wait, wait,
4: get, get in line, Russ, get in line.
3: It's okay. okay. Can, can I respond? Yes. Number one, I have not mocked your
8: father. on.
3: Your father you has. A cult
10: leader?
3: Leader? Can come I respond? I, when okay. when did I call him a cult leader?
11: You, we have, it's all on tape. You film your show. I mean,
3: it's I, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> years. I have worked. I have done. Uh, I did a couple episodes on the Trinity. I did two episodes in January. You have not going, been. You focusing. have mentioned
4: me. You've been talking about Christian being a joke, two and a half years ago. Jason, come on. Just 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 be straight. Just say what it is. It's okay. I don't I understand that you're trying to do what's right. I understand you're trying to correct me. But I'm just trying to say, can't we bury the hatchet? And I don't mean okay. in each other's heads. And I just really mean, can't we just stop?
3: Okay, Sean, number 1, I have worked very hard not to call you a cult leader. You've never called uh, me Jason, you use I, my
4: shows in a very mocking way. And and I don't know Do I get ed- the
3: answer or you all just going to keep uh, I mean, number one, I have tried to speak the truth in love, but that apparently is not possible. It is It's possible. not possible to say that what he is teaching is serious error. It's happening right now, and it's okay. It is possible. That's, that's, not that's what my doing that's, right now. Well, that's the same approach I have tried to take all along. In terms of laying on of hands, then Timothy was also a Mormon, because Paul reminds him of the gift that is given him through the laying on of the hands of the Presbytery. But hey, if the Mormons do it, it must be wrong. Any kind of organized religion, it must be like Mormonism, even if it's right out of the Bible.
1: Let's move on, Mary, do you have a question? Kind of, sort of. Mm.
11: And I do say this with love, because I've worked very hard to try to love you, because I know that's what God would have me do. And I do think you're a kind man, and you've been very kind to him this week in your dealings with him, and I'm grateful for that. But I find the fact that you won't mention, whatever, admit that you're a Calvinist kind of cowardly.
3: No, I'm, I never said I wasn't a okay, Calvinist.
11: Okay, yeah, but you, don't, you won't say yes or no. You never say yes or no. Yes or no.
3: All right, can I give a 30-second no 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 no, okay, no, 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 no,
11: point, take, rest my case. Okay, no,
3: no, no. Do I get the to answer okay all right <laughs> very <laughs> okay. all right my hesitancy is because a caricature has been put to it Sean hates any labels being put on him but he puts he, but he has denounced Calvinism he has denounced Calvin as uh, in, in horrible terms and the idea that many people have in their head because of what he has taught is that anyone who would accept the term Calvinist, must face Geneva three times a day, and look to Calvin as their prophet from God. Wrong. Yeah. Do I hold to the, the canons of Dort, which Calvin had nothing to do with, because Calvin was dead? Yes, I hold to the canons of Dort. What is, what is historically known as Calvinism? Yes, I embrace them wholeheartedly. My, I'm not being dishonest, but Sean, who hates labels, keeps trying to put the label oh, and, on me. Okay. You don't, don't understand. hate
11: labels. He's saying it's okay you're a Calvinist. That's okay.
3: But he's Jason, he spent weeks we love denouncing.
11: You anyway. We love you anyway. Okay. No, wait, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. You have another
1: question? Yeah, yeah,
11: okay. But the point is, is so Calvin went with that line of thinking and it was okay for him and you follow him. Why was that okay for Calvin? And it's not okay for anybody else to come up with some new line of thinking. Who ordained Calvin? Wait, where did that all happen? Who ordained? It has to stop. start somewhere. It has to... I just you're denying the Holy Spirit in life anyway a Christian's journey is exactly that a journey and if your thoughts are the same now today as they were five years ago then there's a problem where's the growth and where if love is not uh the final result of all of that there's no point in any of it and we just haven't felt any of that
10: does that make sense
4: can I, oh, I haven't said anything. I just saw you. We got an email in. Pastor Wallace, I have watched a few of your shows. In one of your recent shows, you compared Sean to cult
3: leaders. This is unfair. This is from someone who's. I, I don't know what comparison that I was making. Okay. But I think I, I, I have not called you a cult leader to my knowledge at all.
4: All right. I accept that. Uh, but, yeah, but people but tell, tell me otherwise.
3: But Sean, watch the shows for yourself I'm not before you make the accusation. I'm not making. I'm just tell me. I, that's why I've come to you. Sean, you, you, you said at the Inquisition, you had never watched my show. That's and true. But then you get up and you, you judge my heart saying that if I could, I would kill you, I would burn you at the stake, that creeds are scaffolds on which to hang people. They are. And, and, you, and you, you denounce me and Dale, whom you never met.
4: My denounce uh, is and not denouncing them anything, except but, what you're trying to teach. I don't denounce but, you as a person.
1: OK, let's move on. We're running out All right. of time. Derek, All right. how much time do we have? About
6: 20.
1: Hey, Mark, come, come on. on. Yeah, we got some questions. Yeah. Bring it up. All right. Hey, hang, hang on, Mr. quest is
2: stepping in. Jason, I appreciate you coming here today because um, I think you have a lot more integrity than a lot of other people, and to do this, so I appreciate appreciate it. I
3: appreciate the opportunity. Yeah.
2: Um, the I'll thing come I, back. The thing I struggle with, Good. and I, and I asked both Sean uh, and Jason this because I struggle with the concept that uh, a sin, whether it be lesbianism, whether it be a coveting or whatever, if there's a hierarchy of sin and how, if there's a list or that hierarchy, which, which sin or which sins would make one not a Christian as opposed to a Christian? Because I'm not, I mean, I really struggle with that concept as to and where that line is, um, you know, and I would be curious to what either one of you would have to say about that. Are you addressing either one? Either one. How about both? And who Go wants far. to start?
3: Go ahead. <laughs> All right. In terms of what I have said, Uh, David was an adulterer and a murderer But when confronted by his sin, what does he do? He repents Saul was sorry for what he had done But Saul never repents He never recognizes that uh, his offense is against God You, you, You see that he's grieved over consequences of his sin But there's no repentance as you see with David Peter denies his Lord He's as, he is as guilty as Judas. But the Lord brings him to repentance. There's a difference between a sheep and a pig. Can, a sheep can fall into mud. Uh, pigs wallow in the mud. The Apostle Paul says in Romans 6, uh, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid How can we who have died to sin live any longer therein? There's a fundamental difference. I sin every day, every moment. uh, Sin is any one of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, according to our our shorter catechism. That means everything I do is sinful. But there's a difference between those who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, whom he chastens, whom he uh, conforms to the image of Christ, There are things that are there are sins, 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. There is a clear demarcation that there, there are certain sins that are not sins of the moment. They are sins of life that demonstrate that you are wallowing in sin, that your heart has not been changed, that the Holy Spirit is leaving you there. And you need to really. Uh, be concerned that your heart hasn't been changed. A uh, lady I know, I, I, a couple of ladies I know, former lesbians. I'm sorry,
1: Jason, can we move on?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. My turn? Can I finish yeah. the sentence, or
1: Yeah, please.
3: They were practicing, but God brought them to repentance.
4: Sean? That's, that's really good, and it's good that they were, uh, they were able to come to change uh, their actions, which are reflective of a change of heart. The problem with Jason's interpretation, and this is the problem that uh, legalistic uh, churches have, is he used Old, Old Testament assignments. He used David, he used Saul, he even used Peter, Old Testament, where they repented. That was the outward change that he was talking about. They outwardly changed, but in the New Testament, repentance, and it always is a change of mind first. So the lesbian who comes and says, I'm a believer, and I've come to know Christ, but I'm a lesbian, Well, I've come to know Christ and I'm a a lecherous man. I've come to know Christ and I'm violent. Am I a new creature in Christ? Yes, I am. Is my old man still rise up sometimes? Yes, he does. Just like he does with Jason. And so the idea is not perfection. So to answer the question that was asked up here, the question is there's no difference. There's no difference between a lesbian who's struggling with being a lesbian and a liar who's struggling with lying And, 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 uh, and other people who prevaricate and men who lust quietly in their heart for the good-looking blonde next door. I mean, it's all the same. And it's our flesh that takes over sometimes. And it's the Spirit saying, well, I've changed in that way, but I'm battling that right now. And we do not judge on that. So uh, I, I, I take his approach that the repentance means you're going to change that action. That's not true. You will never change the actions of your flesh your flesh will always be evil. Sometimes that flesh will rise up, but we walk by the Spirit, we accept people to bring the Spirit into them, and we pray that God will continue to lead all of us closer and closer to the cross.
1: Thanks, Sean.
6: What, what's your name? My name's Alex, um, and my question is for Sean. I'm having trouble nailing down your source of authority because you appeal to the Bible, but you would say that all of it the New Testament has its historical context and in that sense doesn't apply to us. So how do we determine what does and what doesn't? Because that's what you appeal to, but you also undermine it by saying that it has its historical context.
4: I think everything is spiritually applied. I have no authority at all. I have no more authority than anybody who is a believer in Christ Jesus.
6: Well, I mean, I mean your inward authority, what you appeal to as far as how you judge what's right, what's wrong.
4: The, the word. And I look at it in spiritual terms. I see everything that is done there having spiritual application no different than the Old Testament stories have application to Christ in the new. There were things that happened when Moses raised his arms out. There in the serpents, look to Moses and you will live. Christ raising his arms out. That picture of Christ is the same to us. We open our arms to all in love. I just see it all in terms of having application in a spiritual sense rather than a literal sense.
6: Do, do, do you derive that standard of how you view Scripture from Scripture itself, or do you descri- derive that uh, from something else? I actually
4: derive it from Scripture. I can, give you, I can give you the passages here. Last week on our show, we listed about seven. I mean, in Hebrews, for instance, uh, 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 chapter, 10, uh, chapter 12, just really quickly, God says, hey, I'm going to shake things up again, and I'm going to shake it so that anything that is shakeable will not remain. The only thing that will remain are those things that are not shakeable." So when God says that, and I believe that he's talking about his returned judgment on Israel, and then he says, wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. To me, that's a kingdom that can't be moved. Jason can be moved as a pastor. The brick and mortar church can be moved. But the kingdom that God has established through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit is entirely, Jesus said the kingdom of God is within us. And that is what I appeal to. Thank you. Thank you. Good question though. like your beard.
3: Can I offer a brief comment? Absolutely. The funny thing is that after Jesus said the Kingdom of God is within you, present reality, then He establishes a church with elders uh, and what I read from Acts 20 comes after that.
1: Name and question.
9: My name is Russ Milligan. First of all. uh, I was kind of introduced to Sean and campus about six years ago. When I, when I first came into this place, I, was, I thought the same way Jason does. And I believed the same way Jason does. And when Jason said, I don't think I love uh, Jed, you know, I would have said the same thing. And then I had to be taught. You got to be taught by somebody. And he taught me about this stuff called agape love unconditional love. I love this man as much as I love that man and this man or all of you and that's and that's the point, and that's what this is all about and I'll tell you something I'll tell you something you've got to watch each other I don't think he's watched him and he hasn't watched him I watched both of them I watched both of his shows and I heard what he had to say and I could take some of it in and it, like But what I really do admire here, especially, is that women are women. I got one, and she drives me crazy with her emotionalism. I got a little myself, but I've learned to shut it up most of the time. Sean sits there, just as peaceful as can be, doesn't get mad. How do you control yourself? If he was a woman, he had a probably come over and knock this guy's head off but he doesn't now I'm going to get off of here but I just have one more comment and that is I have no idea what the church is no idea there is no true church I was in Catholicism I was a salvationist I was in the Bible Baptist every doggone one of them say they're the true church there is no visible church there is a spiritual church that is the body of Christ Thanks so much for your
4: question. You're fine. Take the time. You drive slow, too. Yeah, don't
10: don't go there.
1: (laughs) Tell us your name and a question.
10: Diana Matthew, and my question is for Jason. I actually had a woman ordain or anoint my head with oil. Sunday and pray on me. Um, now I came out of Mormonism, so I'm very familiar with ordination, but uh, I wanna know what, I feel like what, with what you've said, that doesn't hold any water because she was a woman. Okay. Can you answer that for me?
3: Okay. The church in the first century was a mess because it had sinners in it. It had righteous sinners and it had false brothers. But even the righteous sinners, um, they were disagreeing about everything under the sun. There's never been a perfect church this side of heaven. Uh, I don't know who did this and what. Uh, it was there, in the they,
10: context of a there, was in an evangelical, non-evangelical okay. gathering. Yeah,
3: I, I, I don't, uh, there are things that I have various questions about here, there, and yonder. I'm not going to try to give you a specific opinion about who these, I mean, I, I need to know a lot more to give you a, a better answer. But as far as uh, some of the things that go on. My grandmother was Pentecostal. I would disagree with her about a whole host of things. Was she a Christian? Yes, she loved the Lord. What, In terms of ordination within various groups, uh, I try to uh, give leeway to a whole host of evangelical groups out there, even if they do the things that I wouldn't uh, necessarily agree with directly. so, so you don't
10: agree with that according to your,
3: I don't, your I, don't, I don't know enough to give you a, a clear answer because I don't have a clear understanding of the situation. But uh, Dale Finley, a friend of mine, he wanted to be here this evening, but he had some outpatient surgery. He said to tell you hi, Sean. Anyway, uh, tell him, hold he, uh, he's free will Baptist. They do things very differently than we do. We each do things as best we understand the scriptures um, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna offer opinion on something i don't understand so
1: Tell us your name and question.
10: Uh, my name's Miranda. Um, I have a few questions, if that's okay.
1: We're almost out of time. So
3: you really have so, to relax.
10: Sean earlier was saying something and he, he mentioned the widow going through the seven steps um, of the Bible. Is that correct, Sean?
4: Yes, yeah, so I thought it was seven, it could have been less.
10: Okay. Um, if the Bible does say that there are seven steps, do you believe that widows have to go through those steps? No. Okay. And um, are you a pastor? I'm a
4: pastored.
10: Okay, so do you, do you take that title as a, as a pastor?
4: No, I don't. I okay. take the title of a teacher, a believing
10: teacher. Okay. I,
4: people so, believe I'm their pastor and I'll do whatever I can to help them.
1: But... I believe he's my pastor. Okay.
10: So are you then um, responsible for others' souls? For their Other souls, I'm responsible to souls. teach them
4: and feed them the Word of God, the best of my ability. Right. To love them and care for them, the best of my ability. I am not responsible for their souls. That's God, okay. that's Christ Jesus, and the Holy Spirit.
10: Right. So, in the Bible, it says, uh, what does it say, Jason, as a pastor, that um, when, you, when you die, then Be you're going to give an account for the, their souls? Do you believe that that's true? Yeah, I do. Okay. And... Um, If that's the case, then, and I'm not trying to like be demeaning in any way. Don't you think that, um, it's very important then to, to understand the rules of like the elders and you know, the way it's stated in the Bible,
4: Miranda, remember my analogy of the purpose of the Bible. We didn't really have a functioning Bible in the body of Christ for at least the first 250 years. At all, It wasn't really decided upon for the first 400 years of Christian history. So what led the church at that time? The Holy Spirit. They had sections of the Bible, but they did not have the entire Word of God agreed upon. So Miranda, my point is I love the Bible. I teach the Bible verse by verse. But bottom line, we are never going to be able to apply its contents in the New Testament to ourselves today and learn to get along. We have to let love become the law, Miranda. That's, that's all I can say about it.
1: Okay, can I see I'm sorry. We just okay. don't have any time. Tell us your name and question.
5: Yeah, I'm Joe Young. Um, so I'll preface this by saying that I think that uh, my generation in general is largely agnostic or atheist or somewhere in between. And I think the biggest reason for that is uh, indirect answers. And I think that's what attracts a lot of us to Sean is that he's very direct, uh, very honest. So I hope that you uh, honor me with a direct answer here. Um, So, in general, I'm an angry person, Um, you know, hate people, everything else, horrible, definitely not. uh, Probably what you would define as a Christian. Um, Can I become a Christian without going to church? Jason. Can you become a Christian
3: without going to church? Uh, Yeah, you can become a Christian. Uh, The... Jesus says why do you call me Lord and not do and do not the things I I say if you if you claim to to come to Christ and you refuse to do the things that he has told you to do to be part of a a visible church and hear that church to submit to elders to hold fast to uh, what he has taught then you're not a Christian uh, can people come to Christ and, and be confused and ignorant and have wrong ideas? Of course they can. But there's, a, but, uh, but there's a fundamental difference between those who draw near to him with their lips and those who draw near to him with their hearts. Uh, if you persist in that, I would warn you, I don't know where your heart is. I can never can tell where your heart is. I can only take you for what you say Uh, You are, but if you persist in that, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 18, if you will not hear the church, I'm to treat you as a heathen and a tax collector. I'm to call you to repentance and pray for you, but I'm not to receive you as a brother. Jesus says that.
5: Yeah, so long answer short, if I don't go to church, I'm going to hell, right? Just say yes or no.
3: If you refuse to do what Jesus said, Uh, yes, you're going to hell.
5: Okay, thank you.
3: Okay, we're about
1: out of time. Does anybody else have a quick question? Make it quick. Name and question.
3: Reed Pearson. I have to tell a short story about a Mormon who tried to kill me. (laughs) (laughs) We were water skiing at Lake Powell. I was with a Mormon friend. We got in the car, she drove 80, 90 miles an hour. We arrived in Price just in time for her to go to to the last two minutes of a Mormon sacrament meeting. I was nearly killed so she could keep a perfect record of attendance at sacrament meeting. Those who set set themselves up as as self-righteous authorities also set themselves up as targets.
1: Thank you so much. We'd like to thank Jason Walts for being here with us tonight, Sean McCraney. uh, We are truly blessed. We live in a country that we can come together and we can discuss these things about Christ. You know, a lot of people don't have this opportunity, and we're blessed. And I think we should thank God for those opportunities. We'd like to thank our viewing audience tonight for watching and our studio audience. Uh, Please drive safely. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming. We are going to do a final prayer here. Bishop Earl is going to do the prayer for us, so please stick around. Were you ordained? I
5: was ordained. Yes, you were, brother. Didn't mean anything, but... Dear God. We're amused and bewildered. Um, We know you love us. You've given us a Bible, and we're looking at it totally different ways reading the same things god we we know your love and we we know jesus is our savior he died for us he paid for our sins and that makes us christian and i pray that we might have harmony amongst ourselves amongst each other even with our differences lord we we apparently are Um, making you laugh as well in um, in our efforts to try to discern truth and You've done this for a reason and we see things differently But we love you. We trust that as we turn our lives to you and do our best Read your word Pray to you and ask for your help that you'll help us know that as we stand before you with Jesus at our side that we'll be saved, we'll be your children, be part of your body. And we love you and say this in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come thanks, back, we do it again.
1: All right. Once again, thanks to the studio audience, Ooh. we thank the viewing audience for watching Heart of the Matter,
0: we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. I'm on the ride, going nowhere, I am in a Existential cowboy on the wind, and I won't be coming out. I'm going in. This man's awake. A storm's arising. The dawn's waiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light till monkeys start